I wish. I wish I could see my dad. I wish my family could be together for Christmas. I wish I had a dolly. A new dress. A soccer ball. I wish I could have my mom. I wish my dad could play catch with me. 2.7 million children have a simple wish this Christmas. To feel special. To feel remembered. To feel loved by a parent who's far away. You can help. It starts with a gift. A simple present from their parent reminding them they are loved and not forgotten. And the gift of knowing the love and support of their Heavenly Father. This calls for believers to take action. So while mothers and fathers are behind bars, kids are left behind. Families torn apart. This calls for churches across America to rise up and deliver gifts to children on behalf of parents in prison. You and your church become the hands and feet of Jesus. You deliver God's love and bring hope to those who need it most. Families are restored. Children find joy. Parents experience God's grace. It starts with a gift. Since in 1982, Angel Tree, with the help of thousands of churches across the country, has reached more than 9 million kids with a gift the gospel, and a message from their incarcerated parent. These 2.7 million kids need to feel their parents love this Christmas, and they need to know Jesus loves them, starting with the ones right here in your community. It's simple. It calls believers to put their faith into action. It inspires you and your family to live out the real meaning of Christmas. You bless the child of a prisoner with a gift and the good news of Jesus Christ. Every child has a story. Every child has a wish. Every child deserves a chance. It starts with a gift. It starts with you. This Christmas, change the life of a child forever. Send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men.
to life means he's ruling and reigning. The check cleared, our sin has been paid for, and in faith in Christ, we can have forgiveness. That's, that's good news, right? But, but it's this mindset that Paul calls us to have, right? And in the passage that Pastor Brandon led us through last week, uh, what we were looking at is, okay, well, you are lights in the world. He's telling the believers, you can actually do this, right? You can do this. This is, this is how you're supposed to live, which makes us nervous because right? then, then we know that we're on the hook for some, some, uh, you know, some example of what it looks like in our lives to live this out. But then this passage that we're looking at now, he sort of amplifies this because the question that we, we really tend to ask, is anyone really watching? Is anybody really paying attention to what I do, right? Are my movements in this world really that consequential? Or do we try to, like, make ourselves think that, you know, it's, well, you actually have more influence than you really do? Is, is anybody really watching as Christians as we are called to live out the gospel? doesn't matter, right? And, and also, is living out the gospel really possible? Right? Is, is it possible for us to live that out? Paul says yes. And what he's going to do in this passage is give us two real-time examples. He gives, he gives the Philippians two real-time examples of people that have faithfully lived out that mission, that have accomplished that, which is helpful for us, right? But we, we do tend to be like, well, you know, I'm just a nobody, so is anybody really paying attention to my life, right? Uh, I, I love when moments happen in culture where you just can't ignore them, you just have to say something. And there is one person in culture right now who everybody is watching. If you don't know him, if you're in here and you're older and you don't know him, maybe turn to the youngest person you can find next to you and say, who is that guy? Uh, it's Kanye, right? You can call him Ye if you want. I wouldn't do it much, but, like, you can. Like, and so if you don't know, Kanye West is one, like the, one of the predominant uh, rap, hip-hop artists. He's super creative. I think he's a creative genius just by base level of creativity. He is, he's talented. He's uh, had like a long catalog and he's married to like one of the most in, uh, like one of the most notable women, sometimes not greatly, uh, not for the greatest reasons, but he's married to Kim Kardashian. So if you know that name, that's, you know, that's a celebrity power couple. And recently, if you don't know, Kanye said that he had a radical uh, encounter with Jesus Christ whereby he was saved. And, you know, so he started sneaking in this church in Southern California and listening to sermons, went up to this very conservative pastor who graduated from John MacArthur's college and uh, said, hey, I want to, you know, I want to grow in this. I want to spread the gospel. Changes his album, which was supposed to be Yandi, into a new album, which is Jesus is King, which is a gospel-fueled album with gospel music. He started having these things called Sunday services where he's got a gospel, a full gospel choir. If you've not watched one on YouTube, go watch it. I was, I was trying to plan I'm like, what are my chances of getting a full gospel choir in here this weekend for worship? Uh, none were my chances, but, but it's amazing to watch. It's fascinating because this guy who you can't, like, because I work with teenagers, like, I, I've always justified I want to know what's going on in culture, so I've always listened to the music that's popular. I'm telling you, the biggest mistake that people are making that don't know Kanye is they're going to Spotify, and they're, like, listening to the new album, and they don't know that it's going to kick over to his old stuff, and they're immediately horrified. Don't do that, right? Like, listen to the new album, skip, skip the other stuff. But the point is this. Everybody is watching him because upon his profession of faith in Jesus Christ and all the interviews that he's been doing, everybody wants to see, is this real? Is he really 
a Christian, right? And we tend to be kind of hard on the, the celebrity version of that, right? But let me ask you a question. If someone put a camera on you the first year that you were a Christian, if you're a Christian, somebody put a camera on you that whole first year and interviewed you for every popular news show, okay? How would you do? If somebody put a camera on me this last week, some of y'all would be like, is he a Christian? Really, like there, there, are, there are bad moments in our lives as believers, right? And, and sometimes we just don't want to be watched. This is a guy who, well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what, what the work is, is if it's true work. If it's a seed that is going to bear fruit, we're, we're going to wait and see. But I am cautiously excited. So much so that, like, I, gotta, I just got to tell you, like, my kids knew Kanye was going to make it into the sermon because multiple times the last week I've come out in the living room and I'll be like, you guys know what? And my kids will be like, is this about Kanye again? I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. It really is. Uh, I'm just so excited. Um, <laughs> the point is that really, if you think, you know, well, I'm not Kanye. My, my conversion's not being watched. My gospel example is not being watched. If you say that's not me, you're wrong. You're wrong. And the, what Paul's doing in this passage of Scripture is he's going to show the Philippians, right? Like, this is possible. It is possible to live out the gospel. It is possible to live as lights in a dark world. It is possible to live, you know, as, as in purity in a crooked and, and evil generation. It's possible to do this. And I want to show you two guys who have done this and are doing it well, right? He holds up these two leaders, Timothy and Epaphroditus, right? Paul has repeatedly held up to the church the ideas of being partners or participants in the advancing of the gospel. They're not spectators. And this is what many of us in church need to get today. We are not spectators, right? We, we don't just sit by church members, church attenders, Christians, we don't sit by and let the professionals do all the work, right? That's not how this works. Paul says things like to, to the church at Philippi, you are all partakers with me of grace. He says, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit. He says that you are engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had. He says, he talks about the, the Philippians' sacrificial offering of their faith. Everything that Paul is telling, he's like, you're in this, right? You are called to live this out. It's not enough for us to just say, you know, well, my life doesn't really matter that much. I'll take Jesus for what he can do for me, but I don't really want to be on the hook for, like, having other people look at my life. We don't get that. We're not afforded that. Paul would answer the question, is anyone watching, with a resounding yes, and he would also say, you should welcome that. You should see that as an opportunity. Paul says things like, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. What does that look like? Paul's going to give us living examples of the good work that Christ does in believers. In the process, what he's doing here, this is a travel log. So this passage, this section of Scripture is a travel log because what he's telling them is, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm going to send Timothy to you, right? Just a synopsis. I'm going to send Timothy to you because where's Paul? Where's Paul? Prison. prison. Right, yeah, he's, in, he's imprisoned right now. So he can't go there. So he's going to send Timothy, who's his, like his right-hand dude. He's going to send Timothy. But until Timothy can get there, right now he's going to send, send him Epaphroditus, who is from Philippi. He's from that church. So he says, I'm going to send you 
Epaphroditus. But in, in, the, in the midst of what he's telling them is going to happen, he's also like just saying, like, look at these guys. Look at their lives. Look at what they have done for the gospel. And I want to I make much of the fact that they're being good examples. So the first example that we have is Timothy. Timothy. Watch the life that seeks the interests of Christ, right? We need to ask, okay, so what does a watchable life in Christ look like? What things do we need to focus on? What, what is the quality of a life that is worth watching? Number one is a life that seeks the interests of Christ. So who is Timothy? Who is Timothy? Timothy is, as Paul has said in the very first part of the book of Philippians, he is a fellow servant or fellow slave of Christ with Paul. So they're both in this together. And Paul really gives him like, you know, like joint billing, like it's me and Timothy. There are pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy, in which Paul writes to Timothy near the end of Paul's journey, and he's giving him all this uh, information, all that he's preparing him for the work of ministry that he's going to continue in, even after Paul has gone on to be with Jesus. He's someone who grew up learning the scriptures. We know that from 1 and 2 Timothy, that he was steeped in a Christian household thanks to his mother and his grandmother. We know nothing about his dad, which is interesting enough because Paul refers to him as a son to a father. So like conjecture-wise, one of the things that we might say is uh, Timothy maybe was either abandoned by his father or lost his father you know, at a, at a young age. And in his spiritual progression, Paul became his spiritual father for sure, and maybe even like a functional dad to Timothy. So there's a close relationship there. He was also a young man that Paul mentored in ministry. How do we know that he's young, even here? Because in First and Second Timothy, because Paul is saying, hey, I've run my race, right? I'm, I'm ready to go be with Jesus. One of the things he says to Timothy is don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, right? So Timothy's a young guy. And I, I want you to see, so if you're in here and you're young, I want you to be encouraged. Like, you're not waiting until you hit, like, a certain age to, to be influential in living out the example of Christ. You can do that now, right? That's what Paul tells Timothy. Be an example to all the believers, life and love and speech and faith and impurity. You can do that. That is not reserved for somebody who's been walking with Christ for 30 years. You can live out what the gospel calls us to, right? You can do that and the power of Jesus Christ. He's a young man mentored, but I want, you, I want to show you this first quality that Paul brings up of Timothy. Look at verse 20. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, does, is Paul saying that everybody else around me is trash? No. That's not, he's not, now, Paul's not throwing everybody else that he works with under the bus. What he's saying is that he, he has not encountered a person who is as committed to the interests of others as Timothy is. Like, he is genuinely devoted to the interests of other people. In a world of self-interest, Timothy genuinely seeks the interests of others. Look at verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, we get the sense in those two verses there that one of the things that Paul is dealing with with the church at Philippi is that they are pretty prone to being self-interested. How do we know this? I want you to flip back to chapter, the early part of chapter 2. Uh, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Right? There's a problem here, evidently. Paul wouldn't address this if it wasn't an issue. 
right? It's like when you look at the letter to the, the two letters to the church at Corinth, there's a lot of issues, right? There's more paper there because there's way more issues. But when Paul has to address something, it's because he's concerned about it, right? I, I don't want you to look just to your own interests. I want you to look to the interests of others. So the first thing he cites when he gives the example of Timothy is he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. He is genuinely concerned for your interests. Because here's the deal. Timothy, as someone who has been changed by the gospel, knows that Jesus' interest is the interest of others. To be interested for the things of Christ is to be interested for other people. Other people. We know this because, again, Philippians chapter 2, Paul's just told us that Christ, though He is God, did not consider with God something to be held on to tightly, but instead, right, didn't consider His equality, His Godness to be held on to and he took the form of a servant, of a slave, and humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. You can't serve Jesus just for your sake. You can't serve Jesus for your sake. Here's, here's what I mean by this. When, even when we talk about conversion, a lot of people are like, my conversion story is, I was a mess, Jesus saved me, life is great. Guys, if that's the extent of our testimony, we're missing something. Christ is not about giving us a better life, right? In certain, in certain ways, that, that can be true, but if the end of Christ is I get a better life, then we're missing the point. Like, you, you don't serve Jesus for the end of you getting a better life. You don't serve Jesus for the end of you getting more notoriety. You don't serve Jesus for the end of you just feeling better about yourself. Serving Jesus leads us to be interested in serving other people. Do you see that? Serving Jesus, knowing Christ, having experienced the gospel. Paul says, look at Timothy. He's genuinely concerned for your interest. Timothy is a living display of what Paul called the church to earlier in this chapter. And that's why he puts him on display. Look at Timothy. He cares about you. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. And he also says this, that Timothy has proven worth. Verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me, those next three words, in the gospel right? He's so enamored by the gospel. He's so driven by living for the gospel that he partners together with Paul in a way that a son would to a father. He says, what do, what do you need me to do, dad? I'll do it. What do you need me to do? He's eager to serve. He's eager to help because of the change that has occurred in his life because of Christ, right? Timothy had a mentor, Timothy served as a son to a father with Paul. And if, I would encourage you to read First and Second Timothy, the, those pastoral epistles. They're Paul's final charge it, to, to a young servant of God, and it gives you insight into more about this relationship, how much Paul cares for him, how much he thinks of him, this young man who is passionately serving Jesus Christ. But I want you to note that Paul also says he has proven worth. He has consistency over time. He is genuinely concerned with the needs of others, and he has done it over a period of time. And he says to the Philippians, you've seen this, you know this, you've experienced this for yourselves, right? What is he saying? It's been modeled for you by a young person. Again, do I need a hammer on this, young people? You might think like, well, nobody's watching me. Somebody's watching you. 
How amazing would it be if older Christians were watching you and asking you, how can I do that better? What if you were an example to all believers? Not because you're so great, but because Jesus is so great, right? Timothy displayed the idea of taking the form of a servant, right? When we see in Philippians chapter 2 earlier that Jesus took the form of a servant, this is what Timothy is doing. He's displaying this mindset. That's why when Paul says, let this mind be in you, which is Christ Jesus, he's using Timothy as an example of part of that. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, which is also in Timothy. And in chapter 3, Paul will actually call them, look, look at verse 17, 317, we'll skip over there, we're not getting there yet, but I want, you to, I want you to see this so you know this is what Paul's doing. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul doesn't say like, hey guys, you just don't look at us because we're not worth looking at, right? Which is what some of us do as Christians. Well, I'm never going to obey perfectly, which really is us giving ourselves an out for not obeying at all. If we're honest with ourselves and when we're like, well, I don't want people to watch me, it's not that we don't think that Christ can be powerful enough to display the gospel in our lives. It's because we genuinely don't want people to know what we're doing. That's why I wouldn't want the camera on me like it's on Kanye, right? I don't want that. I don't want to be scrutinized for every word that comes out of my mouth. I don't want to be scrutinized for every stupid thing I say or do. But Paul says it's important. An example worth following is one that is committed to others before yourself, and it's consistent over time. It is a daily choice to put others' needs over your own because of the reality of what Christ has laid aside for us, right? Consistent serving others over time, daily, daily. It's a daily struggle to get up. That's why, that's why the Scriptures say that we must die to ourselves. When you get up in the morning, Husbands, fathers, I want to talk to you. When you get up in the morning, like it is so essential for us to just continually tell ourselves, this is not about my comfort. This is not about my reputation. This is not about my ego. Die, 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 right? Like flesh, die. Flesh, die. Like we have to work hard. When, when we get home at night and we're getting ready to get out of the car and go into the house, we have to say all the things that I hope would happen in this afternoon or this evening, I need to die to that and I need to go into this house and bless my wife and bless my kids and put my own wants aside. But that is, that is all the time and hard and I am constantly failing at that is why I need to double down and be like, okay, flesh, die. Flesh, die. Do you understand what I'm saying? Over time, consistent sacrifice. Timothy was an example. The second example that we have is Epaphroditus. Let's all say Epaphroditus together. Epaphroditus. Isn't that fun? It's a fun name. But if some of you are in here and you're like, oh, I think one of these days I'll name my kid Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus means uh, in praise of Aphrodite. So maybe don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't choose that name. Um, so what do we know about this? Whereas Timothy grew up in a Christian home where he was steeped in the Scriptures, Epaphroditus most likely did not, right? Because I'm not sure any Christian parents would name your kid, you know, in praise of Aphrodite. Um, so he grew up in a pagan environment, most likely, and at some point in time came to know Christ. 
He was a member of the Philippian church, so he, he was there embedded with them, but he also became uh, someone very special to Paul, who is Epaphroditus. He's only mentioned a couple times in the scriptures, right? So he's not nearly as well known as Timothy or Paul. But I want you to see how Paul writes about Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. That's a great resume. Look at the modifiers in, in that statement, in that sentence, right? That's, that's like over the top. Paul likes this guy. Let's go through those just, just briefly. Brother, my brother. Paul sees him as someone who, like in Christ, that's how, that's how Paul sees all people. You're either in Christ or you're not. And so the primary, the primary understanding of this person Paul has is he's my brother in Christ. This is my brother, right? Which also means that whereas he said, you know, Timothy is a son to a father, uh, Epaphroditus was more likely like a peer, maybe same age, uh, slightly younger, same age, a little bit older than Paul, right? Um, but he was a peer. He also calls him my fellow worker, right? He, he's a worker with me. He's a laborer with me. He's in the work of the gospel with me. So he's a, he's a fellow worker with me. That's really important. He also says this, he's a fellow soldier, now, I, I never served in, in the military, and I know there's some, many, many in here who didn't, but many in here who did. So I don't really know what it's like to be in that situation where, um, where like, you, like you are relying on that other person to live. I've never been in that situation. But Paul is referencing this idea of like a, a Roman phalanx where they're, they're like, um, they're these soldiers that are locked together. When they go into battle, they lock their shields, and he's like, this is my dude. Right? He's a fellow soldier. Like he, he is serious about this work. He knows that it's going to be tough. He knows that we have an enemy, and he's in it with me. That's a pretty high commendation. He's a fellow soldier. He also says he's your messenger. And this is sort of the functional aspect of who Epaphroditus was. He was taking things from the Philippian church and bringing them to Paul. And we know this because later on in the book of Philippians, he, it says that Epaphroditus brought you the gifts, or brought me the gifts from you. And so Paul very clearly says that Epaphroditus was the one who was delivering messages and delivering the gifts that the church had for Paul. So that was his function. So again, he's from that church, so they know him. But then the one thing that Paul says that really blows my mind, and he says, but he's also minister to my need. And later on in the passage in verse 30, what Paul says is, you know, he completed what was lacking in your service to me. Meaning, Epaphroditus was the one to come to Paul to minister to his needs when he was in prison to make sure that he had what he needed. Because I don't know if you know this, but when you're placed in prison at that time, it's not like they had three squares and cable and a yard with like uh, workout equipment. That, that wasn't prison. Prison was you get shoved in a hole, and if, it's, if you're a Christian, probably in the lowest part of the prison where all the human waste goes, right? And you sit in there, and if somebody loves you enough, they bring you the food and water and stuff that you need to survive, and if they don't, you die. That, that was imprisonment, really. Like, no, they don't, people don't attend to your needs. If you have friends that do that, that's how you survive. So Epaphroditus was that. So as he would come and bring to Paul, all the things that he needed, ministered to his needs. He was fulfilling what the church couldn't do, right? That's, that's a big deal. But I, I want you to see Paul's description here. There's no competition and there's no insecurity, right? What an amazing testimony to the example that we have in the relationship of these two servants of Christ. I think it's amazing because even in modern times, we tend to like, we get upset if somebody else gets our recognition, 
right? You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like if I do something in church or if I do some Christian service or do something nice and somebody attributes that to somebody else rather than me, I am furious. I can't believe they didn't say anything about me running VBS, right? That's a direct quote from somebody I grew up in church with, right? You understand, you understand what I'm saying? You've experienced this before. You're incredulous that people don't recognize how important you are. Paul doesn't have any of that, and if anybody has the right to boast about that, it's Paul. And he calls Epaphroditus a minister to my need. Z, I, I want you to know this. This is not a competition. As we consider living as examples, even Paul, the way he speaks of Timothy, uh, the way he speaks of Epaphroditus, this is not a competition. This is not who's best. Paul does the same thing with the Corinthians. As some of you say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Peter. And then the super religious are like, well, I follow Jesus, right? But what Paul is saying is like, this, there's no competition here. We are all living out the calling that God has placed on our lives, and we're doing it together. That's one of the things he's calling the church to, right? To not be in competition. With Epaphroditus... The thing that Paul calls our attention to is to watch the life that endures suffering with joy. Look what Paul says about what happened to Epaphroditus as he was serving. Verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Okay, he puts his health in jeopardy for the work of Christ. We don't know how he got sick or what kind of sickness it was, but Paul says he was near death. So it was pretty, pretty bad, right? Paul put his life on the line for, he was risky, Epaphroditus was risky for the gospel, and that's, that's encouraging, right? His life was an example of taking risks for the gospel. But I want you to see this verse is so nuts. Uh, verse 26, he has been longing for you all. So he's going to send Epaphroditus because he wants to go there and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now, men, some of you know what I'm going to say, right? Like, when anybody else in our family gets sick, we're like, please, come on. There's stuff to be done, right? How bad is it? What do you need? Can you give me something? Fine, right? When we get sick, Lord help us, right? <laughs> or just like, like everything is, right? When Cameron was in Egypt, then let my Cameron go, right? That's what, that's what we do. Like we're, we're, we're just beside ourselves with pain and horror and everything is miserable. We're the worst. And some of you guys are like, that's not me. That is you. But here, my, my perspective is, though, that women don't understand that guys, guys uh, our bodies are designed to all the other stuff, the, the small viruses we just swat away. The small viruses that get you, like, down, they swat away. But we get, like, super viruses that are only, <laughs> only for guys. Yeah, amen that, brother. Uh, they're only for guys. <laughs> I want you to understand. Many times, many times, though, when, when we think about people watching our lives, we want the concern and attention. When I'm sick, I want the attention. I don't want to be like, no, honey, you don't need to serve me. I'm like, yes, please. Like, I'm going to lay in bed with my iPad, watching, binge-watching whatever the newest Marvel show on Netflix is. I want you to bring me a steady stream of food and water and medicine, and then we can be okay. But I want you to know how miserable I am when I'm sick, right? We want people to know. Think about how many times you go into work and somebody says, you're, you're just a little sick, right? And somebody's like, oh, hey, how is everything going? And you're like, oh, I don't know, man, I just don't feel very good, right? You want people to know. 
Or how many times if you're enduring something that's hard, you want people to know. I want people to know my struggle. I don't want somebody to not know. I want somebody to know what I'm facing so that they can appreciate how hard my life is. Epaphroditus was distressed because the Philippians knew that he was sick. I have never known that sentiment in my life. I have never known that feeling before. You know, his example is like he... He sees suffering, even at the point of death, his main concern is, oh, is this going to be bad for the church if they're just worrying about me being sick? Is this going to take them, you know, off point with, with advancing the gospel? Man, that's crazy. And it led me to think this, this idea, self-interested service in the name of Jesus Christ really is the worst. It really is the worst. When when you serve Jesus because you really want people to know how much you're serving Jesus, that is not a life worth watching. There are a lot of people that do a lot of good, like, ministry stuff and live what would look like a really good example, but at our core, we might be like, I want people to know how important I am to this church and to the people around me, and if they don't recognize that, I'm going to leave. Amen or ow? Because for some, that's, you know, I, I want people to look at me as, a, as, a, as an example as long as they give me credit for what I'm doing. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Paul says he, he's more concerned with, you know, you being okay than even you knowing. Like, he thinks that if you know that he's sick, you're going to worry about him rather than worrying about Christ. Epaphroditus displayed a willingness to become obedient to the point of death for the name of Jesus without asking for the attention. And that's why Paul uses him as an example. Do you understand? Because he didn't want the attention. Now, everybody look at me for a second, especially young people, listen to me. If you want the attention, if right now you, you're even thinking like, yes, I want to be, I wanna be a, a great Christian you know, because I want people to be like, that's, you, you're already wrong. If your whole life is set up to be like, I want people to look at me. I want people to acknowledge how great I am and the wonderful things that God has given me. You are going to be in a world of trouble. Because the, the most effective gospel work does not come through the person who's like, all eyes on me. It comes through the person who's like, all eyes on Christ, right? Like, if you see my life, that's the life that you want to follow. Amen? That's the life. Like, put all attention on Christ. In a world full of self-interest, a life lived serving Christ is worth watching. In a world of self-interest, a life lived serving Christ is worth watching. This is what Paul is saying to us. Here's two great examples of a life worth watching. But here's what I want you to know, too. Not everybody will have the same degree of exposure. You're, you might be in here this morning, you're like, that doesn't, like, I don't even know how this applies to me because I'm not, like, I'm not in ministry. Clearly, these two guys were in ministry like people knew of them. But, but not everybody gets the same degree of exposure, even in this passage of Scripture. Everybody knows, who knows Paul, right? Paul is well known. A lot of people know Timothy by association with Paul, right? You know him. He's proven his worth. Epaphroditus is really only known to his church. So you see the sliding scale here, the degree of, of knownness? You, you, are known to 
fill in the blank, somebody. You are known to your spouse. You are known to your kids. You are known to your grandkids. You are known to your employer. You are known to your coworkers. You are known to uh, the, the people in your sphere, your extended family. You are known to someone, and someone will be looking at your life asking the question, does Christ really make a difference? And we don't get to go like, no, I'm not, I'm not an example. Paul says you are an example. And I want to remind you that a life pleasing to Christ driven by the gospel is possible. Be faithful to the place that God has called you to. You. Because someone is looking to you as the living example of the gospel. Someone is looking to you as a living example of the gospel. You're like, that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. But you know what? Didn't, didn't the scriptures say, didn't Paul say he will complete the good work that he's begun in you? Didn't Paul say that? Should we be worried that Christ is going to somehow fall short of making us like himself? No. He's going to do that. So we walk in Christ, looking to Christ, making our life about Christ, so that others would look at us as an example. Why does Paul give these examples? Because in the next chapter, he will call the church to imitate the life in Christ, and he'll know the difference between a life in Christ and a worldly life. That's what he's going to do in chapter 3, right? So what about our lives? What are questions that we should ask? Like, how should we look at these examples and say, well, what does this mean for me? Number one, is my life worth watching? Is my life worth watching? A life in Christ is a life that carries the mindset of being more interested in others than ourselves. So what does this look like? Here's some practical things that you might want to write these down because these are part of the examples that we're given. Number one, be secure in Christ. Remember, there's no competition here. Your security, Christian, your security is in Christ. It is not in your performance. Will you still sin? Absolutely. But if we sin, right, if we sin, we have a high priest. Amen? we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will sin. Yes, you will screw up. But you know what you do when you screw up in front of people? You repent well. And you tell them that your sufficiency is not found in your ability to fulfill the law. It is in Christ's perfection and His ability to fulfill the law and His imputed righteousness on your life. And you give glory to Jesus Christ. And that's a great way to live out the gospel. Right? Number two, be humble. Be humble. Invite, invite the idea that other people are watching your life and seek to serve them. Number three, be risky for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus took risks, right? He endured suffering because of the risks that he took, but it's worth it, right? Embrace, embrace suffering if God calls you to it. Can I, can I be honest with you? I just lost another good friend of mine from, from years past. He's a, a friend, dear friend from Illinois who taught me things like how to, you know, put dry, how to patch drywall and how to sweat copper pipes and stuff. He's just a wonderful man of God. He was one of the best fathers to daughters that I've ever seen. So as I've parented my daughters, I've constantly thought about the example that JB laid for me. And he had a short, intense battle with cancer, and he just passed away a couple days ago. But I'm just thanking God because in his suffering, I was reminded, this dude knows the gospel. 
in his suffering, I believe that I believe that, that this last short suffering period of his life is one of the most massive examples of his sufficiency in Christ that I've ever seen. If God calls you to suffer for his sake, then do it because it's being watched. You get the opportunity to show off the sufficiency of Christ in your suffering. And be others-centered. Be others-centered, not self-promoting. Number two, am I actively inviting someone to watch my life? What do, we get, what do we get with Paul and Timothy? Gospel partnership necessitates modeling the mind of Christ for other people, for those who are younger, right? I would encourage you, if you're not mentoring someone who is like not at the, age, the same age range as you, I would highly encourage you to say to somebody younger, hey, watch my life. You want, you want to right? They'd be a model for them, encourage them. The other thing I would say is some people in church would hear this and they'd be like, well, nobody's really watching me because they're not really in community. Some of us avoid things like life groups or even getting together with other believers because we don't want to be watched. We have our time and we have our schedules and we don't want people to touch them. So we stay at arm's length. That's why we believe we can come into the doors of a church and sit down and leave without ever talking to anybody, without ever being on the hook for, watching, for them watching our lives and we walk right out and we feel satisfied in that. And I know some, some of y'all in here are probably going to be mad about that statement, but I'm telling you, life in Christ is meant to be lived out where other believers can see it and honor God for what He's done in your life. Don't stray away from that. Don't be like, that's not for me. That is for you. It's for everybody. Open yourself up to other people watching your life. And by the way, our kids and all young people are watching our lives to see if the church is even worth being a part of. Right? So when Jesus becomes kind of the self-interest, as long as he makes my life good, things are okay, and they never see a commitment to other people, they never see a long-term faithful commitment to living life out in front of other believers who you know and you've done battle with, you say, that's my fellow worker, that's my fellow soldier. If your kids don't see that happening, don't be surprised if they say there is nothing to that religion. Number three, am I actively honoring the lives of faithful servants and receiving them with joy? Do you have someone who you would say, this person has been a wonderful example in my life of Christ-likeness. They've been a wonderful example of the gospel. Like they, they, all these things that I hear, I, I'm thinking about this person as I think about humility, as I think about uh, you know, being other-centered, as I think about suffering, enduring suffering well. Like, can you think of a person, like even in this congregation, in this f- group, fellowship of believers, can you think of a person who you would say, like, I'm gonna tell that person today I'm so thankful for the, their example. Right. I'll say it because she's not in here this service. I didn't say it last service because she'd probably be mad at me. One of the people, and no offense to anybody in here that I know and that I've seen because I love so many of you, but I just want to tell you, I, I just love Joanne Glanzer. If you don't know Joanne, you are missing out. You are missing. She is a faithful, long-suffering example of others-centeredness in the life of our family, and we are so thankful for her. So I know this is on video, so Joanne, don't be mad at me. I'm so thankful for her, and for so many of you 
who, like her, have been an example, even if you don't know it, to me and my children and my wife, of a gospel-saturated life. Thank you. Thank you. Paul says, honor those people. Somebody needs your life and your example. Someone needs your life. God has given you an influence that he intends to use you for, not someone else. If you think, well, nobody's watching me, somebody's watching you because God has ordained it, and he's ordained it so that you can show them that the excellency that is coming out in your life has nothing to do with your ability to uphold all the things that you're commanded to do, but everything to do with the God who has changed our lives and made us new in Christ. He who has started the good work will complete it, and he's going to do it in front of other people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, I just pray that you would help us to see, Lord, this is not about us showing off. It's not about us bringing the attention to ourselves. In fact, it's the exact opposite of it, Lord. It's us, even when we have the attention on ourselves, saying, I don't deserve this, Christ deserves the attention. Lord, in not wanting people to stress out over us or thanking us or making much of us because we know that it's all about making much of Christ. Lord, we would pray that if there's anybody in here this morning that has never experienced what it is to be truly wrecked, Lord, by their own selfishness, that they would turn gloriously to the gospel and and cry out for salvation. I pray that this morning you might help them to see that their life is meant to be lived in service of you, and everything else is just wasting it. God, we give you glory, and we would ask that you would save gloriously somebody this morning who needs to know that the gospel does change lives. And Lord, as believers, we pray that this church would be known for an example of Christ-likeness that makes the biggest difference. Father, we love you. We praise your name and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.